Thanks for listening to the Becker's Healthcare Women's Leadership Podcast. My name is Molly Gamble. I'm Vice President of Editorial for Becker's Healthcare and Editor-in-Chief of Becker's Hospital Review. Today, I'm thrilled to speak with Jamie Tynan. Jamie is currently the Assistant Vice President of Integration at Atrium Health, a $10 billion integrated healthcare delivery system in Charlotte, North Carolina. In her role, she focuses on cultural integration, portfolio and project management, and process improvement. Jamie is also the creator and founder of 100 by 2030, an initiative aimed at increasing sponsorship for women of color in healthcare over the next decade. She is dedicated to amplifying the voices of Black, Indigenous, people of color to change the narrative on diversity in senior leadership. Jamie believes that her fundamental responsibility as an executive is to champion the next generation of diverse leaders. Her thesis is that the lack of diverse representation in the C-suite role roles is due to the lack of active sponsorship for underrepresented groups. Jamie, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you, Molly, for having me. Jamie, I just shared a lot about where your work as of late is centered, but I'm curious before we get started today, if you can just tell me more about the issues within the broader topic of women's leadership and advancement that are of greatest interest to you. Yeah, you know, it's a really important topic, women's leadership and advancement, especially in healthcare, where, you know, overwhelmingly the healthcare industry is predominantly female, yet we see um, a stark contrast when we look at the executive and senior executive leadership levels, which are overwhelmingly male, right? So how do we um, how do we look at that and find ways to advance women and specifically women of color into those leadership roles? Where I think I have the most passion is the intersectionality between race and gender as it relates to leadership, and specifically as it relates to things like pay equity, um, sponsorship, which I know we'll talk a lot about, and how we create opportunities for advancement. How do we move uh, women, women of color, into that next level of leadership? Because I think in healthcare, we are in a unique industry where we're seeing a lot of transformational and disruptive change, but we also, on the positive side, but we also have um, issues of healthcare disparities that we're still trying to, after decades and decades of, of talking and researching about it, uh, to move the needle and make positive change to eliminate those disparities. And how do we get the right voices, the diverse voices at the table where decisions are being made so that we can truly reduce or eliminate those healthcare disparities? So um, where I'm passionate about is, again, how do we create an environment where women, um, people of, uh, of underrepresented groups are given access to be in those senior leadership uh, levels to be able to make those strategic decisions? So that we can improve healthcare for all. Absolutely. I think, you know, what's remarkable about what you just said, Jamie, is that you mentioned some really macro level challenges like the pay gap and healthcare disparities. And I think it can be tempting at times to, of course, recognize those and talk about them. But at the same time, when left to our own devices, what can we do? It's easy to feel like the problem is so much bigger than you. Um, yeah. And you'll draw attention to it, but it's kind of a wait and see game. Like you're relying on broader institutions and people in power to kind of make improvements. But, you know, you are a really remarkable person because you've said that yourself that your biggest career challenge is not 
about your own personal success, but about how you're helping create a pipeline of women of color leaders to take healthcare to the next level. And that just impresses me so much because, you know, it's not about your promotions or your advancement necessarily. You really are looking out to create this pipeline and create more opportunities for women of color. Can you talk about how you arrived at that conclusion for yourself? Yeah, I had, um, quite honestly, I had a very positive experience being sponsored myself. And I think that that experience really shined a light on the type of impact I want to make, right? So when I think about my impact, it's less about my advancement, although I imagine that uh, putting, my, putting my focus on my passions and the legacy I want to lead will, will obviously lead to opportunities and advancement. It's more about wanting to make sure that I am lifting up the next generation as I climb, right? So it's not about me getting to that next level. It's about how do we collectively do that. So I had a very positive sponsorship relationship um, where I had – women and men who were giving me opportunities for high visibility projects, specifically at Atrium Health, and those opportunities turning into me being advanced in my career and how transformational it was to have someone be an active advocate for me, believing in my potential, kind of clearing the way for those opportunities and allowing me to thrive, um, really inspired me to want to do the same for others because not everyone has been given the same opportunities that I have. And um, when I think about, again, in the next 10, 20 years, do, what do I want to look back on and say I was able to positively impact? Was it the fact that I made it to the, the senior executive or the C-suite? Or was it, you know, I used my personal, political, and social capital to help other women of color like myself also advance in their careers? So for me... I'm a true believer that all boats rise when you focus on the collective, when you are putting your energy and your focus to making long-lasting impacts that are going to ultimately change the narrative around um, this issue with diversity and inclusion at the senior most levels of healthcare organizations. So for me, it started from having that sponsorship, having uh, the positive you know, outcomes from that sponsorship and wanting to do the same for others. Mm -hmm. And I hope we'll hear more about that sponsor, him or her, or if there's several, a little bit later in our conversation. But, you know, I, this leads me to 100 by 2030 and your goal to sponsor 100 women by 2030. Can you tell me about where this goal originated from, where you got the idea, how you landed on this deadline for yourself, the number of of women you hope to positively influence and affect. I'm just curious about the origins of this. Yeah, so I remember actually where I was when I decided to uh, put, uh, make a public commitment, if you will, around this topic of sponsorship. So it probably, it was last year, I was um, attending a conference. It was probably, you know, the fifth conference in my career that was focused specifically on women and women's advancement. I was sitting in the audience and the presenter was talking about the numbers um, around women's advancement and, and breaking that down, de-aggregating the data by race, talking about how there's a lot that we still have to do, that we're not making as much progress as we thought. I remember sitting in the audience and, and my blood was boiling because 
over the past five, 10 plus years, it's the same story, right? We still need to advance women. We still need to advance women of color. Women of color make, um, you know, cents on the dollar compared to other populations. Yet we, we do a lot of talk and the action piece I felt was missing collectively. Not that there weren't actions being taken, but we weren't seeing the outcomes that we collectively wanted to see. And I was in the audience and thinking to myself, wow, someone should really do something about this. And I thought to myself, well, why couldn't I, as an individual executive, do something about this? Not that I'd be able to transform on my own uh, this narrative and, and these outcomes around diversity and senior levels, but if I am expecting someone to make that change, then I have to be that change. What could I do with my own networks and my um, uh, political capital to really make that change in the way in my own sphere of influence? So I remember sitting there thinking to myself, sponsorship is something that has been transformational for me. I remember early in my career, there was a lot of emphasis on mentorship, and it wasn't until I got, you know, a little bit more seasoned in my career that I'd even heard about sponsorship. But the sponsorship piece has been able to help me get to that next level of leadership. And I wanted to set a really audacious goal for myself, right? Because I said, you know, if I'm going to do this, I want to be all in. I want to be able to make measurable impact. You know, I could sponsor two women, but you know what? I think I want to set an example. And I want to inspire, honestly, other executives to want to make a big commitment to sponsoring women. And that's where the 100 by 2030 initiative was truly born. Because I said to myself, in the next 10 years, if I could say that I personally sponsored 100 women of color, I could almost guarantee that there would be some positive outcomes of advancement for those women. But in addition to that, I felt like that was a meaty enough goal to where if I look back when I, you know, 10 years from now in 2030, I look back and I said I was able to do that for 100 women, that would help me sleep at night knowing that I was able to having and inspiring other executives to also sponsor 100 women of color just makes that impact that much greater. So for me, um, the 100 by 2030 initiative is more about how can we collectively make that change. Um, no commitment is too big or too small around sponsoring women of color. And let's take action. Let's put our words to action. Let's, let's go all in and actually um, sponsor women of color so that they can get that access to the next step in their career. Mm -hmm. Just such a fantastic example, like you said, for a macro problem, macro challenge, and someone sitting in the audience, having a strong reaction to it, and then leaving the room with the commitment to oneself that I'm going to take, I'm going to do something about this. I just think that's such an amazing story. Yeah, and um, quite honestly, you know, I remember last year as well, um, going to a conference, I think it was the Modern Healthcare Women Leaders Conference. Um, and I don't think it was last year, it might have been two years ago, where one of the presenters was talking about sponsorship, and she actually had a challenge out there for all the audience members. There was a postcard on the table for everyone to fill out, and they said, on that postcard, I want you to write the name of a woman that you are willing to sponsor. And I remember writing down a name for one of my uh, mentees, protégés, who has now gone on to greater things um, in her career, and my sponsor also being in the audience, and she wrote down my name. And so that also planted a seed of, wow, you know, you really individually can do something about 
sponsorship and advancing women. So again, lots of inspiration, but it's about making that personal commitment and being the change you want to see. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you mentioned, Jamie, that you hear a lot about mentorship. Like even I, I think about to myself back in college and earlier than that, you hear about mentorship relationships professionally, but you said you weren't, it wasn't until you were a bit more seasoned in your career that you began to hear about sponsorship and really understand it and what that looks like and what that involves. And I think that's a lot of people can run into that. And I wanted to spend some time with you in debunking some misinterpretations folks might hold about sponsorship. So if you don't mind finishing the sentence for me, but blank isn't sponsorship. So to answer that question, I would actually offer up that mentorship isn't sponsorship. Okay. And I think it's a really important distinction to understand because I think those terms can be conflated a lot in the minds of people who don't understand how a sponsor is different. So in my mind, a mentor, and I've had many mentors in my career, have been my advisors. They are my trusted advisors that I reach out to if I'm struggling with an issue at work, maybe I've transitioned jobs and I need help navigating internal politics, or maybe I'm stepping into my first people manager role and I'm dealing with a difficult or challenging employee. I go to my mentor to kind of role play and talk about how I might resolve that challenge, and they're giving me advice. They're truly my trusted advisor. And it's a safe space. You know, you typically have either a written or unwritten contract around what you say and how that's kept private. Um, and they typically, typically can be at any level of the organization. In fact, I have a lot of peer mentors that I reach out to. But sponsorship is a whole different animal in and of itself. Sponsorship, the, the purpose of a sponsorship relationship is to help you advance in your career. Um, sponsors are typically very senior, although they can, you can have a peer sponsor, but the reason why they typically are senior is because they have the, again, the political capital, the influence to be able to make, help you make moves in your career, whether it's um, getting you promoted, which happens a lot, um, or it's nominating you for a community board seat or nominating you for a speaking engagement at a national conference so that you can uh, demonstrate and share your thought leadership with a broader audience and a broader platform. Again, it's about taking action and they're being your advocate, right? So they are advocating for you. They're talking about you in rooms that you don't have access to with senior leaders. When there's a high profile project coming up and they're looking for someone to lead it, they're throwing your name in the hat for that. So there's a difference between sponsorship and mentorship in that again, mentorship it's about advice and sponsorship is about advocacy, really being a true advocate and helping you advance in your career. Got it. So they're very senior. They have political capital. They're constantly looking out for you, talking about you in rooms you don't have access to, like you said, distinct role uh, apart from mentors. I'm curious when you, as you were saying that about like recommending someone for really visible projects or different endeavors, different roles. Uh, can you talk a little bit about the role of courage if you're a sponsor? Because I imagine there's some sponsors out there who do a tremendous job of furthering professionals once they feel really, really confident that this professional isn't going to, it's not going to come back to haunt them, so to say. This is a pretty safe bet. I feel it's very likely this person is going to succeed and excel in this role. 
but what about the sponsors who they kind of take a chance on you? Um, you might not be 99% there, perhaps 85, 80, uh, but they really stick their neck out for you and take a chance on you and it ends up making a world of a difference for your career. Can you talk about, about that, the role of courage in sponsorship? Absolutely. In fact, I'm so glad that you brought up courage because when I talk to people about sponsorship, I typically talk about what I call the five C's of a great sponsor, and courage is that first C. And it is one of the fundamental common threads across being a good or great sponsor is that you are courageous. But because you're being courageous, because there's an inherent risk-taking in sponsoring someone, you as the protege really have to live up to their expectations. You have to perform. Um, and again, that's different than mentorship, right? Because mentors tend to give their time freely to you um, without any sort of expectation that you're performing at a very high level. They're there to be, you know, your advisors. But sponsors have high expectations of their protégés because of that very fact, because they're putting their name and their credibility on the line for you, um, giving you and kind of paving the way for you to demonstrate your potential. Um, and so there is a there is an element of risk taking that, you know, I've talked to sponsors who, again, have a very high risk tolerance and they're willing to continue to put their name out there for their protégés. There's also some leaders who absolutely want to be sponsors, but they're very afraid that if they use their credibility and it doesn't work out, that that, you know, that, um, you know, the, the negative part of it will come back to bite them, right? So they're trying to protect their name and their brand, and they don't want their brand to be tarnished if that protege doesn't perform and live up to those expectations. But I think by and large, those sponsors who are courageous, who are willing to step out and, uh, again, create opportunities for their protégés, um, are going to get that paid back um, tenfold. And it might not be immediate, right? Sponsorship relationships take time to develop. But over time, I think that person, that protege, is going to be very thankful that you were able to do that on their behalf. Um, so, again, yeah, the, the first C in those five Cs is, is courage. I would offer up that the other four Cs of a great sponsor are that they're committed to you, that they're connected, um, so they have networks that are wide and deep. They're candid about your sponsor readiness, right? So that's another thing, making sure that you are ready for that sponsorship. And then finally, they have capital. They're willing to use their political and social capital on, on your behalf. So courage, committed to you, they're connected, they have vast networks, they're candid, and then also capital. That's really yes. summed it up quite well. Okay. So Jamie, you mentioned in your, your opening remarks that you had a really positive experience with sponsorship early on in your career. And it clearly has been so life-changing that it's inspired this initiative, this 100 by 2030. I want to hear more about what sponsorship has looked like for you and what made it so, so special and uh, life-changing. Absolutely. So there were really two sponsorship relationships in recent years that have been honestly transformational for my career. One of them came through an executive development program that I was selected for through the American College of Healthcare Executives called the Thomas E. Dolan Executive Diversity Program. And in that program, they match you with a mentor. 
And the person that they matched me with is a woman named Gail Capazalo. She's the former chief strategy officer of Yale New Haven Health and currently the executive director of the Equity Collaborative through the Carol Emmett Foundation uh, Fellowship, I'm sorry. And, um, you know, what was special about that relationship is that was a perfect example of how a mentor became a sponsor for me. We got to know each other over the course of a year. It was almost purely a mentorship relationship. We talked about my career goals and aspirations in healthcare strategy and how she navigated her career and was able to reach the C-suite in her organization. And then after the program ended, um, she still wanted to stay in contact with me and started to nominate me for speaking engagements because she felt that I had a lot to say from a healthcare strategy and diversity and inclusion perspective. So I got the opportunity to speak at uh, the American College of Healthcare Executives Congress. Um, next week, I'll be a panelist as part of the Modern Healthcare Women's Leadership Conference. And she started to just throw my name in the hat for a variety of opportunities that she either told me about or just, hey, just submitted my name and, and said, I think that you'd be good for this. And through that relationship, um, that's where I really started to understand the power of sponsorship, especially when you are um, doing those things for someone else and um, creating opportunities. So that would be one um, example of how a mentor can become a sponsor and one of the transformational relationships that I had. The other sponsorship relationship um, is through, um, through my current organization. I have worked for a woman named Carol Levin. She is the current chief, uh, chief of staff and also the chief integration officer at Atrium Health. And since I came to Atrium, she has been such a wonderful advocate for me and has helped coach and mentor me, uh, but also gave me an opportunity about two and a half years into my tenure to come over and start the integration management office that we, we started back in 2018. So she took a chance on me and saying, I would love you to help us stand up this internal capability and this function. And I worked for her and we had a great opportunity to connect and deepen our relationship. I performed well and ended up getting promoted about eight months after I joined um, to be an assistant vice president. So if it wasn't for her being willing to take a chance on me and saying, I believe in your potential, I think you have the ability to develop something from the ground up, almost kind of like a startup environment, and have it thrive, um, again, gave me that inspiration to want to pay it back. And um, so I've benefited from those two sponsorship relationships, and that's one of the reasons why this initiative is what it is. So Gail and Carol, huge kudos to both of them. Yes. And, and you mentioned too, you know, you, I, I understand they hold a special place in your life for, for kind of getting your first taste of what sponsorship can feel like and look like and do for oneself. But you also mentioned you, you've had a lot of men as sponsors too, Jamie. Can you spend a bit of time talking about, because I think sometimes this risk running and becoming like a, a women's issue solely and it's only seen as women can be sponsors and sponsees. Can you talk about how to sponsor men and how to look to men as sponsors as well? Yeah, you know, it's an interesting um, dynamic when it comes to sponsorship because I think naturally the similarity bias is very prevalent with sponsorship where um, as a sponsor, you tend to want to sponsor someone else that looks like you, that reminds them of you, right? So um, 
I remember doing some research on this phenomenon because what we're trying to do and what I'd love to do is encourage other executives to sponsor people that don't look like them, right, that don't necessarily have the same path that they did, went to the same school, really believing in um, someone else's, you know, knowledge, skills, and abilities and potential that might have a different path in their career. And so there's a lot of really good research from PayScale that talks about the difference um, in outcomes from, you know, from a gender and a race perspective and this, this idea called the sponsorship premium, which means, for example, if my sponsor as a woman of color, as a black woman, if my sponsor is a white male, um, I actually just, just by the fact that the person is a white male, I may make uh, – you know, have a sponsorship premium of 12 to 13% more than if my sponsor was another woman of color or even a white woman. And it's fascinating, these intersectionalities in sponsorship and how it impacts your, your future pay and your future opportunities. So from that perspective, um, yes, I've absolutely had male sponsors in my career, um, not inherently because of that research, but because I wanted to have a diverse network of sponsors that can be advocating for me. Mm -hmm. um, so I've had sponsors that have helped me negotiate pay. We talked about pay equity at the top of the, the podcast. Um, so helping me to advocate for that. Um, also for promotions and advancement. And in fact, um, the first time I had ever had really a sponsorship action being taken for me was from a male leader earlier in my career who had nominated me for an industry award when I was working in the IT field. And I didn't have the language at the time to understand that that was sponsorship, but that was where the seeds were really planted early in my career to say, um, I want to be able, when I get to that level, I want to be able to do that for someone else. So I think it's really important as women, and specifically women of color, that we think of sponsorship in broader terms, but we also think of our you know, a sponsorship network that can be um, you know, diverse and have both men and women in it so that you are um, have, you know, reducing the risk of losing a sponsor and then not having an advocate, but also it really creates a variety of opportunities for you. Mm -hmm. So really strong network is one that is, is diverse in terms of building your own sponsor network. But also I love the message to those listening to us today about make sure you're sponsoring people who don't look like you, who don't share an alma mater. You don't see it's, I think sometimes the language like proteges, it means like you see a great deal of yourself in somebody that doesn't yes. always need to be the case. Right. I think that's a really great message. So, Jamie, you know, as a sponsor to other women yourself, we often talk about how much spons sponsees, it's a strange word, but those who are sponsored benefit from these relationships. But I wanted to close by just understanding more about what this has felt like for you and what you get out of it and how this intentional relationship, which you are so deliberate about, and I know holds great meaning to you. Um, I want to understand more about how it benefits you. You know, um, it's a great question because I think inherently people, people would look at the work that I'm doing and thinking very similarly that, wow, you're putting all of your effort into helping others advance, but what about yourself, right? Making sure that you are also um, being able to achieve your career goals. 
And I think the reason why this is such an important initiative for me is because I do get intrinsic and ex, you know extrinsic uh, value from being able to create opportunities for the next level of leaders. I remember talking to a mentor of mine who is um, a C-suite leader in healthcare, and she told me that, you know what, Jamie, when you get to my level, it gets lonely, mm-hmm. right? You're a woman of color. You're probably the only woman of color on the C-suite, and um, it does get lonely when you make it to those top levels. And the only way to, to cure that loneliness, right, is to have other women and women of color, um, other sisters, being able to share um, in that experience with you. So for me, not only does it allow me to be able to give back and lift up others, but it helps remove this whole, the loneliness of being the only at that level. We want more diverse voices because I feel like diverse organizations make better business decisions, and it's the right thing to do. So for me, I get value out of being able to help my organization and other organizations, hopefully inspiring others, to think about diversity and inclusion, um, not like from a business perspective that it's it's good for business because it is, but it's about making better decisions making better decisions for your patients, for your consumers, for your customers, because you're having more voices at the table that help you think differently, that help you break down problems differently, that give you innovative ideas from a different perspective. So again, um, for me, it is, um, you know, paying it, you know, paying it forward for others who are going to be obviously ascending in their careers, but it's also about paying it back to the people that have done the same for me. Um, that is, the, to me, the ultimate way to pay back what I call the loan of sponsorship. Someone else um, put money in the pot, put access in the pot for me to grow. And so me being a sponsor myself is a way of paying that back to the people that did take a chance on me and rewarding them and thanking them for being brave, being courageous in doing so. Mm-hmm. So paying it back by really paying it forward. And, you know, the, the comment about getting lonely, I think that's so probably relatable for many listening to, to this podcast who, who are leaders in their organizations and love also the, the comment about it's better decision making when you have a diverse group of leaders at an organization or for a cause, you have more voices challenging your status quo, which is just so important. Um, and, you know, Jamie, just one final question. I, I, I think this is related to what you had mentioned about, I think it was Gail, who was a mentor who became a sponsor. Yes. Do you have, yes. Any, do you have any thoughts about what can sponsors become then? I just, I, I think it's not as though you say goodbye to a sponsor once um, your common goal is accomplished. But I'm curious how, since you've had many and since you are going to serve as one to many women in the decade ahead, how that relationship can evolve and it's, you know, toward the end or are you colleagues then? Are you friends? I guess, can you, can you spell out some ways that relationship can take shape? Yeah, well, um, for many relationships, whether they're mentors or sponsors, uh, my hope is that those relationships can continue in the future because they're, you're investing time and energy to get to know one another. And it is bi-directional, right? So you, you don't want it to just be the sponsor is doing these things for me. 
hopefully in your career, you're able to also pay it back again to them for, for them sponsoring you. So when I think about sponsors in my life and, you know, they're going to go on to bigger and greater things, they're probably going to get to a point in their time when they're ready to transition to their next steps in their career. My hope is that I can help them do that as well because of the work that I've been doing and building a sponsorship network, um, rewarding them and nominating them for you know legacy awards for the things that they've been able to accomplish. Maybe there's an opportunity for them to you know a lot of senior leaders who are looking at board service, um, hopefully being a reference for them if they are looking to you know get on a board seat and they want to learn about that person's career and how they've mentored others. I see that being more of a requirement. How did you use your skills in your career to, to mentor and develop, you know, others that have worked for you? So my thought on that topic is I think the sponsorship and mentorship relationships absolutely can evolve um, into being, you know, either friendships or lifelong colleagues, whatever, um, whatever transition point makes sense for the two individuals involved. But I also see it being a continuing infinite loop of how can we help each other? How can we be, um, you know, connected colleagues for life so that we can continue to help each other advance or uh, transition into whatever that next step is in the career? Mm-hmm. Well, Jamie, I am so grateful for your time today, this conversation. I learned so much from you and I can't wait for the day in 2030 when we reconnect and talk about the conclusion of this, of your effort to sponsor 100 women by that time. You'll probably knowing you uh, arrive at that, that goal earlier than 2030, but nonetheless, I can't wait to <laughs> reconnect and, and talk about what you learned and how this, how this went. And hopefully there's many more women who are inspired listening to you today to do the very same. Well, thank you so much for having me on your podcast. It is a topic I love talking about. And hopefully your listeners will be inspired to, to take a sponsorship action or become sponsors themselves. I really think that that's going to be the transformational way that we change the trajectory of diversity and inclusion in the, in the senior levels. Here, here. We at Beckers wish you the very best, Jamie. Thank you very much for being with us. Thank you.